Well, one of the things as we've come out of pandemic is we've all had to get back to driving. Anybody feel like that was a bit of a shock? I, that was a little bit new for me. And um, I'll tell you, every so often, some of the road signs get me confused. It, here's some up here that I'm like, that one, that one way sign where you got to go one way, but you can't turn right. That confuses me. Um, the one that just says, good luck. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on there. But occasionally I'll get confused uh, by parking signs. I remember I got a pretty hefty ticket in Baltimore City one time where it said something like this. You can park here for two hours, um, 8 a.m. to midnight, as long as you're not in if you, uh, the area of 42 people or area 43 were exempt. And I, I thought, okay, so I can park here for two hours. But wait a second. If it's after that time, can I park here longer? Or for th- but I, whatever it was could totally confuse me, and I got a ticket. But there's some we can make those mistakes, and some are more costly than others. I can remember one evening, I think we were uh, traveling to get to a a college conference at Ridgecrest, and I I was with a a young man, a former graduate alumni of ours, and we were attending this conference, and he had just gotten his first car, and he was from New York City. See, some of you know what that means, right? In New York City, we have buses, we have subways, we don't necessarily have our own cars. And where our teenagers begin to start having cars, you know, I remember got my driver's license at 16. Some of these young college students that get their driver's license a little later haven't had all that practice. And I remember we were getting on the road, uh, it was kind of a little bit foggy and it was later in the day, later in the evening, it had already gotten dark. And he had been to to approach a sign that looks like this as we were getting onto the interstate. Well, I talked him out again on that on-ramp because it wasn't an on-ramp. It was just the off-ramp. We went around and, and, you know, after about an hour, I told him, hey, you know, I kind of got to use the restroom and can we pull over and get some gas? I really didn't need to use the restroom. It was a lie. I'll confess it to you all. But we pulled over. Um, I pretended to go to the restroom, and I said, hey, why don't I take a shift on driving? I drove the rest of the way. I just, I was like, I feel great. I was like, I just, I just didn't, you know, six more hours, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, I drove the entirety of the way. I just, I did not give up his car until we got there. Um, he could have, you know, he could have it back later, but I'm just saying, okay, there are times when I think as a church or in our own spiritual lives, we can get on the wrong way. We kind of can begin to form some habits that are not okay. And that can be quite destructive in our lives. Today, as we sort of approach the holiday season, as we approach a time when everything is calling for our attention, I want us to hear the words of Jesus. Because I think he once again brings us back to warnings about some ways that we can get off track. So let's take a look in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 22. Jesus, in this chapter, was asked several questions before his time of going to the cross to pay for sins. Jesus was asked and challenged by religious leadership. And here, the religious leaders known as the Sadducees, these ones who were sort of in charge of a lot of the priestly uh, divisions of the temple, these ones who were sort of, the, in some ways, the spiritual aristocracy of their age, they came to ask Jesus a question. It says, that same day the Sadducees, now get this, who say there is no resurrection. They don't believe in eternal life. They, don't, they think this life is all there is. They came to Jesus with a question. 
the Sadducees asked, Teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having any children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Wait, did anybody catch that one? I, I don't know if any of you all have those kind of family relationships that, um, like, the younger brother might be in line to marry your spouse. I, my wife's not having that, by the way. She, she's already kind of said, mm, this, this, this is Old Testament commandment. It, it was actually an Old Testament commandment. It was known as a Leverite marriage. A Leverite marriage. What is a Leverite marriage? Well, it kind of looked like this. Um, that a man's brother would marry the widow if the guy dies. Now, this is, this is back in Genesis. Um, and and you can see it also in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. In fact, let's read it for a second. It says, If brothers are living together, so they're in, still in a family unit, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her to fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Oh, now we understand. Maybe we, well, maybe we don't still quite understand, but maybe there's some clues here. What's going on? Well, in the Old Testament, God was certainly having systems where families would take care of families. And the family name and lineage and their land and their property could be preserved within the tribal systems uh, of Israel. And so in order to preserve a name and to preserve the heritage and to preserve the lineage, you would have this situation where if a brother died without having sons... Well, someone needs to carry on that name. So where else does the property go? Where else uh, does these, these, these tribal confederations, um, how do they, they continue? You could see, can foresee one even potentially dying out early on. And so the idea is, well, you can carry on the family name, that that first son would sort of be seen as the son of that elder brother. Hmm, okay, interesting. Interesting concept. The Sadducees weren't interested in that concept. That's not what they were asking Jesus about. What it did was create an opportunity for a really interesting philosophical question. And here's their little hypothetical philosophical question. The Sadducees went on to say this in verse 25. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. Okay, That's the Levite marriage. Verse 26. The same thing happened, though, to the second and to the third brother. Right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. You see the situation? Brother number one married her, then brother number two. Okay, this this sounds like a nightmare to me, um, scenario that they've come up with. But here we go. Heard the old movie, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. This just happened to be the one bride for all seven I don't know. Doesn't sound like a good movie. All right. They ended with this. Now, at the resurrection, remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be out of the seven? Since all seven of them were married to her. Okay, you see what they just did, right? This is a trap. This is a trick question. A trick question. Look, the law says 
the, a brother must continue, the brothers must all marry the same woman if they, none of them have children. And none of them ended up having children, and now they've all died. So if there's a heaven, and we all, all seven get to heaven, and the woman gets to heaven, then now you've got one woman that's married to seven men, and that can't be a good scenario. That can't be what God intended. So there must not be a heaven. There must not be an afterlife. You get the picture, right? It was a trap. It was trying to show that it's an impossibility. God would never even require such a thing uh, of a brother marrying uh, the widow. He would never even, that would never enter God's mind if there were an afterlife. Because if there was an afterlife, well, if one of these situations happened, it would have just turned heaven into hell, I think, for all those people married to the same woman. Uh, they, They couldn't be. That doesn't make any sense. Obviously, there is no afterlife. It was a trick question. It's like the ones in philosophy. Can God make a rock so big that even He can't lift it? If that's confusing, you talk to me afterwards. There's a pretty easy answer to those kinds of things. Uh, But they're trick questions. They're set up. they're, They're trying to prove their point. They're trying to show that Jesus maybe doesn't know all that Jesus seems to think He knows. Well, when we come to Jesus with some trick questions... I think we better be ready for Jesus to speak. I think we better be ready for Jesus to give an answer. And some of those answers might challenge us to our core. Here's the deal. When Jesus answered this question, Jesus had something to say about their spirituality. And quite frankly, I think it has something to say about ours. Are you ready? Here's what Jesus had to say. Jesus replied, you are in error. Wrong Incorrect. You missed it. You're in error. Why? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Let's look at that first one. You don't know the scriptures. Now remember, he's talking to the religious leadership. He's talking to the Sadducees. They had spent their lives studying the scriptures. Now, they had gotten very, very... sort of full of themselves, I think, on the Scriptures. They only accepted certain ones. They didn't accept all the prophets and the later histories. They only accepted the first five books of Moses. They said, well, these, these are really the important ones. This is really the laws. And, and it's really our job to help everybody understand the laws. And we'll teach the laws. We'll kind of make sure we're the key people here. And, and our spirituality is wrapped up in our understanding of the Scripture. Jesus to these ones who were sort of full of themselves and thought they had plenty of understanding of Scripture. Jesus says, you're in error because, number one, you don't know the God's Word. You neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. That's a pretty strong indictment for them, right? But here's the thing, church, family, friends. I think this is to us. I think we can be Pharisees and Sadducees. I think we can be the ones that are like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been studying the Bible for a while now. You know, it's been at least four or five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, I, I know the scriptures pretty well. I think we need to be challenged. Do we approach God's word? And as the scripture says in Jeremiah, do we tremble at his word? 
Do we approach the Scriptures and say, man, they, I need them every hour. I, I, if a day goes by without having, it's like a day that I don't eat. And let me tell you, I don't skip food too often on days. I mean, you can tell. I, 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 I mean, I need bread. I need food. I kind of think I need milkshakes. My wife says no. But I kind of feel like I need these things. Do I crave God's Word in the same way? And by someone who is devoting myself with time and energy to the Scriptures. Look at what Hebrews uh, chapter 4 says. That the Word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. When I come to God's Word, I need to allow it to do its work in me. Now some of you might be staying, sitting there like a friend of mine, Thomas. I really like Thomas. He really had a heart to know God and he liked God and he was faithful and he served in church leadership and he served in church in, in, in various ways. But I remember Thomas saying to me, he said, I know I'm supposed to like the Bible. I still I'm supposed to like God's Word. But I kind of find it boring. And if I had the choice between Scripture and say, watching a movie, or Scripture and playing a video game, or Scripture and almost anything else, I find myself gravitating towards these other things. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how to fix that initially, but here's some things I challenge Thomas, and it might be a challenge to you. If you don't find God's Word as something that's palatable, as something that you desire and crave, one of the things you need to do, and just to be honest, is you need to pray before you read. Pray before you read. God, speak to me. God, speak to me from your word. God, open my eyes so that I might see the truth that you have that tells me more about you and tells me more about who I'm supposed to be. Do you approach God's word with that attitude and posture that the Lord is ready to speak to you? God's word, look what it says. Well, I'm, I'm See the screen there. Look what it says. God's Word is living and active. It penetrates our souls. It tells us and gives us words that only God can give. Now, I love Christian literature and Christian books. I'm there. Great and helpful. But you can't have a steady diet on just other people's Bible studies. You need a steady diet on God's Word because He wants to speak to you. He judges our thoughts and our actions. Then number two, not only do you need to pray and be in the posture ready to hear God's word, but number two, you just need to do it. I mean, just discipline yourself. Now, I would always have one part of your scripture reading based on a part that's really helpful, like the Gospels or like some of Paul's writing, some of the Psalms. But also discipline yourself to read along with that some of the parts that are more challenging because that way you grow to know and understand the fullness of God's counsel to us. So my question is, are you biblically anemic? Are you biblically anemic? That you're just, I mean, you know, that sprinkle, that verse of the day from the Bible app or something. It's not enough. We need to de devote some time. Is it 10 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? One of the young men who's been coming here, he's not here this morning, so I can kind of use him as an example. Uh, some of you got to know Jermaine a little bit. That guy loves God's Word. He eats it up. In fact, when he was in the Bible study at Towson, he kept a, he's a, he's a uh, physical therapy, right, 
doing his studies to become a physical therapist, right? He approaches God's Word like a physical therapist. I remember at Towson, he's like, okay, everybody, this month, I want 30 minutes in God's Word for 30 straight days, no excuses. Come on, you can give me two more verses. Next month, we're going to start memorizing, and you're going to memorize two verses a day. And I'm just like, okay, Jermaine, 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 whoa, 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 I'm, 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 I'm feel- okay. But the point's taken. Sometimes we need to just discipline ourselves. This Christmas, we have an Advent book for you. Maybe that's a place to begin. If, starting December, if you don't have a little scripture, maybe take one of these home. I, I brought one out. We've got some for you to give to friends as well. But here's the thing. Don't wait. Don't wait till December 1st. You need to start today. Scope. You need to read more of God's Word. Not just those favorite verses that give you encouragement, but you need to like have a plan. I usually have two or three places in Scripture that I'm reading every, every day, each day. You know, I'll pick a psalm, and I've got something from the New Testament, something from the Old Testament. Just maybe a chapter, but just continuing to put God's Word in your life. Orientation. You know what that's about, right? Orientation. That's having a posture of ready to hear. And finally, don't miss this, application. James is clear. You can't be just a hearer of God's Word, but you've got to do what it says. If we were to take a little quiz, I don't give pop quizzes in my class over at Towson, but maybe I should start. What if our quiz today was, how was your Bible reading this week? Did you catch some time? Was it daily? Mm. What needs to change for this week? Let's be those that love God's Word. But notice that Jesus didn't say just you need to know more Scripture. He also said you're in error because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Nor the power of God. Sometimes we as Christians can, oh, we can know all about it. We can quote all the verses. We can, we can know what it says. We can even devote ourselves to spending time daily in God's Word. And then all of a sudden, we can find ourselves still being cold and unresponsive to how God wants to lead in us and in His Spirit, what He wants to do through us. We can set up all of our rules. We can start up all of our routines and leave God As God begins to do more things in this church, it means we're going to have to get uncomfortable. It means that stuff might make us like have to move and shake and adjust and make uh, make some different choices. Last night I was really excited that we had a youth group event here. Rachel, MJ, Kyle, they put it together. Good job, everybody. Now... Accidentally, a soccer ball did hit the fire alarm. Accidentally, um, Bob and Harold and I had to come on down here, and the fire department was here. And, you know, okay, we, there was a little more excitement than we had planned on. I kept thinking, is this an open door? How, is this a, how are we able to still love and show the youth that we care about them? How are we relating to the volunteer fire department? Just meeting some new guys last night. I don't know what they had plans, but they got to come and we got to come. So why not? Why, is this an open door? Are we open to the power of God working in us and through us? Friends, here's how you not 
have the power of God. Here's how you short-circuit it. Here's how you uh, pretty much throw a wrench in the whole process that God wants to do. It's called hypocrisy. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. They'll be slanderous. They'll be, they'll, there's no self-control. They're brutal. They're not lovers of, good, of the good. Okay, anybody feel like this sounds like the world today? Anybody feel like this sounds like them? Yikes. Okay, treacherous, rash, conceited, he goes on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the quote I want you to focus on. Having the form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Brothers, sisters, that could be us. Okay, can I be honest? That can be me at times. When I'm living in, in hypocrisy, when I'm not yielded to the Holy Spirit's presence and power in my life, guess what? This is what it looks like. It's ha- or this is what it looks like. It's having a form of godliness. I'm not saying I have a form. Okay. Uh, but it, you, you look right. You can say the right things. You're, you're very church going. You, you dress appropriately. You have your Bible in hand. You look righteous. But if you're not living righteous, you're exactly what Jesus accused those Pharisees and those Sadducees of. You're a whitewashed cup. I mean, the cup looks great on the outside, but in the inside, it's full of dirt. It's full of corruption. It's not where you want to put your food. Are we living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if you are not yielded to him, if you are allowing hatred, if you are allowing treachery, if you are allowing this lovers of, not lovers of good, but lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, lovers of yourself, if those things are consuming your life on a daily basis, guess what? You have short-circuited the power of God in your life. And all of a sudden, we are exactly what Jesus is speaking about to the Sadducees. You're in error. You are wrong. This is, we're putting an X right there. We are marking it. You just lost points on the exam. You are not living out what God has for you if you're not vitally connected to his word and the power of his Holy Spirit in his life. If this church is going to be fully revitalized, at the center must be God's word and God's power. There are churches today that are awesome at God's Word. They teach it. They preach it. I mean, the Sunday school teachers are trained. They've all got degrees from seminary. They've got all their doctrine lined up. But they don't have the power of God. They're in error. There's other churches that, 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 are, that are off base because they talk about the power of God and all kinds of spiritual gifts and they want to see wonders and signs. But they're out of touch with Scripture. They're doing things in an unbiblical way. They are promising health and wealth and miracles that that God hasn't said or directed about. Those churches are also in error. And then there's some churches that have neither. (laughs) they're They're not caring about doctrine or the power of God. They're not off base on either one. They're just off base because they're doing nothing. And they're not connected to the head at all. 
If Valley is going to move forward as the people of God, we have got to be vitally connected to His Word and to His Spirit. We need to be right on both accounts. We need to be experiencing and expecting God to move in us and among us, that He would be bringing more people to Himself on a weekly basis, that God would be opening doors for us to be evangelistic witnesses on a nightly basis, that He would be moving in our hearts and speaking to us daily from the Scripture, preparing us for the works that He has and is laid in advance for us to do. Oh, Lord, would you move in this place? Would you move in my heart? Would you bring us to that place that we are yours, that our spirituality, our walk with you, our relationship with you is what you intended it to be, both in power and in truth? When you ask Jesus questions, he gives some very full answers. Because not only did he speak to them about their spirituality, but he also spoke to them about their identity. Look what it says in verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. I'm teaching my class. We're right in the middle of this unit on identity. We spoke last time about identity in Christ. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But we as believers have to be yielded to the idea that our identity is fully in Christ Jesus. Here, it's not even in that marriage relationship. I remember in high school, we, we were looking at this passage, and there was this really cute couple. They ended up getting married. They were so sweet. Um, and uh, they were so in love. You know high school students are in love. Anybody remember that? I do. I, I, I married my high school sweetheart. It, it's a good thing. High school love, though. And I remember when we looked at this passage, and it said, look, in heaven, you won't be married. They said, we don't want to go to heaven then because we're so in love. I'm thinking... Yeah, the other choice just probably isn't a good one. I, I think, I know you're in love, and that seems all romantic and all, but the truth of the matter is, <clears throat> that's, not a good, that's not a good option for you either. But it also needs to remind us that all of our relationships in this life are a gift and a blessing, and there will be relationships in heaven, absolutely, but everything is temporary apart from Christ. Everything is temporary except for us in our relationship as a people of God in His kingdom. That as we approach all things, we need to be surrendered and be fully His and let Him order our perspective. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, look, at the resurrection, there there are heavenly bodies, there's earthly bodies, and the splendor of the heavenly bodies are of one kind and the earthly bodies of another. This is a temporary, our identity must be in Christ Jesus. And finally... Jesus has something to say about their eternity. Not only about these bodies, but listen to what he says, verse 31, but about the resurrection from the dead. Remember, that was what the trick question was all about. Is there a resurrection? We set it up so the seven brothers would all be married to her. Okay, no, no, no. But about the resurrection, Jesus says, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. In John 14, Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Some of you may not know Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to Him. And eternity is in doubt for you. You don't have a guaranteed home in heaven. Because Jesus, He said, you've got to have your faith in Him. Um, Jesus said, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, in Jesus Christ, will have eternal life, will not perish. 
If you've never put your faith in Jesus this morning, that invitation is for you to trust in Him for forgiveness. And in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to respond and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Or yes, I want to be part of this church. But for us as a congregation and as individuals, I want you to ask this question. What do you need to do for Valley to be? Now notice, it's what do you need to do? Not what Valley needs to do, but what you need to do as part of this church. For Valley to be a church that knows God's Word. What do you need to be, and what do you need to do to be a church that lives in God's power? What do you need to do to have your identity fully in the mission of God? And what do we need to do for Valley to be a church that's not, that's not our ultimate home? How do we need to live? How do we need to be? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us on every situation. Thank you for how you call us to your presence and call us close. God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit even now, convicting us of our sins, showing us how we're to be fully yours. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.